Amen. Thank you, Stacy. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Dennis Stewart, and I'll be speaking this morning on foundations of our faith, much more precious than gold. And I have kind of an introduction this morning that will uh, take us about a third of the way through the lesson, and then I'll really get into why I've named the lesson as I have. Have any of you ever uh, wondered which apostle you might be most like? You haven't. I have. <laughs> well, that's it. Thank you very much for coming. <laughs> I have. I honestly have. And it's, uh, if I were in those days, what would I be thinking? Would I be thinking more like Peter or more like John, more like Mark? Well, he wasn't a disciple, excuse me. Um, more like Thaddeus, more like any of the others. I have. I've, I've thought of that. Who would I be most like? And I guess the reason that I have those thoughts is because I believe that, that uh, Jesus took people from different backgrounds and types that would most be like the rest of the world. There's 12 of them. There weren't any of them just alike. They were all very different characters. And I always thought there was had to be a good reason for that kind of diversity in his group of disciples. Um, my decisions may have been more situational, you know, than some of the other disciples. I'd have had more highs and more lows, maybe. Um, I think that more like any of them, I th I've thought the rest that I would probably be more like Peter than any of the rest of them. Why? I was wrong a lot too. <laughs> that's that's why. Peter was wrong a lot, wasn't he? And and had to be corrected and had to be taught. And fortunately, he was a type that would learn. He would learn from his mistakes. But I think he would be the one I would be most like, not because of who he became, but simply because I was wrong a lot too. I was wrong a lot about what salvation was as I was growing up. I was wrong a lot about what a Christian life should be I was wrong a lot about what was right and what was wrong. And many of us are as well as we go through our growth in, in Christianity. We find that what we had been thinking was wrong and we needed to change our thinking. Is everybody with me now? Okay. All right. How many want to raise their hand but they didn't want to after all? We've grown in our Christian experience, and, and we understand more now than we ever have before. And yet we realize that we have a very, very long way to go. Many times I've been wrong about people. I've been wrong about uh, salvation, as I said. I've even been wrong about what is right and what is wrong. When we uh, consider the vast difference between what Peter was before salvation and what he became after salvation 
and there was a time where God grew him into what he became as such an effective minister and writer of the gospel. Um, we know that there was tremendous growth there, don't we? Now, many people will say that the book of Peter was actually scribed by Mark because Mark was serving Peter as an assistant. And others even say that the gospel of Mark was actually Peter's re remembrance, and Mark wrote it down. And typical with his being humble, it's not the, Mark, the gospel of Peter, it's the gospel of Mark. I don't know. Many people feel that way or believe that. <clears throat> but Mark was active in Peter's ministry and did a lot of the writing for Peter. Uh, Mark was an educated young man, and uh, Peter was not. He was a fisherman, as you know. But the letters themselves, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, um, were what are called circular letters. And the reason they're called that is because the purpose of the letter was for a messenger to take it to every sick, single Christian church in the area that it was intended for. They had to be very trusted ministers themselves, and they had to be trusted messengers to take what was written and to not only to show it, but to deliver it in, in speech as well as in uh, content uh, in the, as it was written. <clears throat> so we'll talk a little bit about that, that today. First Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, Peter, an apostle, of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, those are five locations, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. This word elect, elect or chosen, um, they are, there's only four elects that are identified in the Bible, just four of them. Number one, um, Christ is elect. He's chosen. He is an elect. Israel many times is referred to as the elect, the chosen. Uh, angels are elect. Those are, that's the third category. They're chosen. And the fourth is all of us, all Christians, are elect. And there's verses there that you can see I've written down um, that support that. Rit Christians are of the elect. Peter identifies three ways to become God's elect in verse 2. And all three of these happen at the same time when you're saved. Number one, sanctification of the spirit. Your spirit is purified by the blood of Christ. Number two, through obedience to the gospel. That's how we live our sanctified life. And number three, sprinkling of the blood of Christ. And all three of these take place at the same time. We are given that anointing, that, that orientation into our Christian life uh, during salvation. What, where are these places that Peter is talking about? Oh, look, Stacy, the map is back. I knew you'd be happy about that. I've chosen a, a 
map from Roman times because it, it showed the cities he's talking about on the map. This uh, blue area up at the top of the, of the image, Pontus Eximus, Exodus, <clears throat> that's the Black Sea. That blue area is the Black Sea. I don't understand it either. The blue area is the Black Sea. Okay, in your black and white copy, it is the Black Sea, isn't it? And uh, above that is Russia. And the Jews, you know, when they were dispersed, they went up north to get away from Jerusalem as far as they could. In the dispersion, they went on the east and on the west of the Black Sea and right on up into Russia. And some of them became fiddlers on the roof. So that's... That's uh, the dispersion of the Jews. But he mentioned five places there. If you look at where it says Pontus in the, in the sea, below that about an inch, inch and a half and a bit to the east or left, Pontus, that's one of the locations. Pontus, about three inches to the left, you see Bithynia. And then down about an inch and a half to the, the west or to the right is Galatia. And then down a little farther to the south and the west is Cappadocia. So we have Pontus, Bithynia, Galatia, Cappadocia, and the last and the other one he mentions is Asia, which is all of that area. We call it Asia Minor, but it's called Asia at the time. And that large area that you see there is now, t uh, a big part of that is now Turkey. And uh, that was, the, the upper part of that is where Peter was ministering. Paul was ministering in Galatia, as we know. But more often, he was in the southern coast along that same area of what we call Turkey today, up into Tro Troas, which is in the north east corner of uh, Asia and then that little bit of water is the jumping place there to go from Asia to Europe and Paul was the first of uh, the ministers to minister in Europe there were some places that Peter and Paul ministered early on but primarily they stayed away and we know that because Peter was writing to the Galatian church in 1 Peter. That was part of uh, the addressees in his, in his gospel. So uh, if you ever wondered where Peter he went, he spent much of his time and then went on to, ba to uh, Babylonia. But he spent much, much of his time there in Turkey, uh, which is now Turkey, I should say. Jews had been convinced that they were the only elect of God for centuries. They're the only ones. Peter was wrong about that, wasn't he? He, along with all the other Jews at the time, they were wrong about that. They called themselves the chosen people. And the Holy Spirit has completely changed Peter's opinion of who the elect are. The elect are not just the Jews. The elect are the Christians as well. He uses a term in that first uh, verse there. 
Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus. Well, at the very beginning, he the the, the in term of endearment for Jews that were of the dispersion. They were Jews, but they were not in Jerusalem. They had they had fled Jerusalem centuries before, and they were living in another land, but they were not of another land. They belonged to Israel. They were referred to as sojourners. The, enderm- the term of endearment was strangers. And what we see now is that strangers are not just what they had thought, but the strangers are those who had given themselves to Christ. And so you and I are strangers. Some are more strange than others, but we're, we're we are strangers. Along along with the Jews of the dispersion, and even those convu- converted Jews um, in those areas that the Jews had uh, touched their life, and they had been converted. They were referred to also as strangers. They were in another place, but they belonged to Israel. And uh, strangers in that land, no matter how many centuries they'd lived there. They're foreigners or pilgrims. Um, They were chosen of God to live among those who are not chosen. They belong to Israel. Well, we're chosen by God to live among those who are not chosen, aren't we? And we are also sojourners. Let's read 1 Peter 1, 3, and 4, and you'll see why I'm talking about it this way. 1 Peter 1, chapter, uh, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope. What is the lively hope? the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God, through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. So now this term includes all who have accepted Christ as their Savior, strangers, as we said, It's Peter's endearing term, which now refers to Jesus' followers, the church, those who have been begotten again, those who have the lively hope, those who have an inheritance, incorruptible, all of those who are undefiled, fadeth not away, a place reserved in heaven for you, that place kept by the power of God through salvation. That sound like you and I? We're also the strangers. According to the word. Jesus' followers are the church, and it's now a term recognized as sanctification and holiness. So Peter declares that that we're one church in the strongest of terms, without regard to race, without regard to color, without regard to nation whether Jew or Gentile, before uh, salvation, social class, financial standings, no other affiliation or identification matters except we are chosen. I think that that's probably why Peter was elected 
by people who shouldn't have been electing, but thought of Peter as the leader of the Catholic Church. Catholic means everyone, right? And Peter's declaring that everyone is a stra is stranger, is a, a chosen one, an eclectus, elected or chosen. One church. Today we, we should do no less than Peter. When we look at others who are serving Christ to the best of their ability and understanding, they're eclectos. They are sojourners. They're strangers. They are like us. There may be some differences, but they're strangers. They are chosen of God, just as we are. So we have a fourfold inheritance is what Peter's showing us there. We have an inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled. We have an inheritance that will not fade away. We have an inheritance that is reserved in heaven for all of us who are saved. And we have an inheritance that is kept by the power of God through our faith in him for our salvation. And that will be revealed to us in the last time. Verse 2, he talks about foreknowledge of God the Father. These strangers or elects have been chosen to, a continue, uh, to be a continuing people according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And this is much more than a knowledge ahead of time, as we might think. Those who are elect have made a choice to be sanctified by the Spirit. So we have made the choice. We're not elect or called or chosen because of who our parents were. We are called and chosen because we have decided to make the choice to serve Christ. So we are chosen because we've made that choice and we submitted ourselves to Christ. They've chosen to respond to the call to be holy. The Holy Spirit works through Peter to communicate these truths. I'm given some background here and uh, stay with me for another few minutes. Paul has made the same points that Peter did, but he's added a few more in Ephesians 1, 4 through 14. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundations of the world, we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined, pariso, that means to have been made firm beforehand. It is made firm to beforehand. In other words, we are predestined unto the adoption of the children of Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. He has predestined us to go to heaven. Why? Because we've responded to the call. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which uh, he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom 
also ye have obtained an inheritance, being predestined, there it is again, Porizo, made firm beforehand, according to the purchase, according to the purpose of him who worketh all things under the counsel of his own will, that we should be to um, to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted. After that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of the, your uh, salvation, in whom also after that ye believed. Ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest. That word there is arabon, which means a pledge, which is the pledge or the predestination promise. The earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of purchase of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Ephesians 1, 4 through 14. And what I've noticed here is that Paul's really said the same thing Peter did. He just took a lot more words to say it, didn't he? He expanded on it, but they confirm each other's um, declarations. Preserving our final salvation is the next section to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Along with that we have 1 Peter 1 15 and 16 but as we that but as he which hath called, that Kletos that called, or invited, you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And another verse here I wanted to, to uh, talk about. <clears throat> but you're chosen, Eclectos, a generation, a royal priesthood. And holy nation, a peculiar ice, in other words, is that word peculiar, which means continually insomuch that people, uh, a chosen people, you're a continual people. Um, that means you're staying with it. That ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called or invited you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Does that sound great? That makes us kind of special, doesn't it? It sounds very good. In fact, the first part of the next verse says, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though for a season. And we'll pause right there. We're in great shape. We're a special people. We're chosen. We're advantaged. We are predestined. We're going to heaven, to this undefiled place. Because it's a promise. It's been predetermined. The mind, his mind has been made up. And it will not change. That's where we're going. Who, remind, who remembers signing up for the rest of that verse? Which we're going to read. The one where there's trials and tribulations and other problems. Anyone remember signing up for that? We signed up. We signed up to be saved, didn't we? We signed up to go to heaven. We signed up to 
miss hell and all of the demons and the rest of it that are there and to go to heaven. And that was wonderful. But Peter says in verse 6, if need be, which is, that word there is D-E-I, die, or day, excuse me, day is how it's pronounced. If it must happen or if it must needs happen. He doesn't just send us trials because he wants us to have trials. He sends us trials for a purpose. Must needs. If it has to happen, why would it have to happen? Anybody? Why would we have to have the trial? <laughs> to learn something right. Or we, we could have set in motion ourselves those things that would come about that would give us trials after we're saved because we set them in motion before they were saved, right? We see that happen to people all the time. They become saved. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They're living a Christian life. And then the things that happened in the past have created issues which surface. And Peter says, must needs these trials happen. There's all kinds of reasons why they're happening, isn't it? I mean, we can't just name one thing. All sorts of reasons. But this is what I want to talk about day must needs must needs be ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations that the trial of your faith be much more precious than gold that perishes though be tried with fire might be found into praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ and I wanted to do all of that other that we've done first to get to this point to see why we are who we are and what our promises are and that we have been given um, a way to be stronger than whatever the trials are to come. But he's introduced a very interesting comparison here when he says that your faith is much more precious than gold. Interesting to me. Your faith is much more precious than gold. So I began to look at some comparisons. And I want you to put your thinking caps on. You ever heard that before, that phrase? We were talking about phrases earlier. Think about this and help me out. Uh, some participation here. Your brain, yeah, there's money right there. <laughs> okay, so why would faith be compared to gold? And faith, in fact, much more precious than gold. Think about that for a moment. And let's think about what gold is. Well, one thing about gold is that the fire only separates the foreign and impure materials from the gold. You piece of, pluck a piece of gold out of the ground, for example. You put it in the fire. When it comes out, what you have is less weight than what you put in. What has happened? The gold, yes, the gold is there, but the foreign materials are burnt away. Now, if you have that gold already, and you put it in the fire, 
and you keep it in a state of fusion or melted state for a long period of time and you pull it out, how much gold do you have left? The same amount, the same amount of gold. Now, why would that be a good way to compare faith in the spiritual to gold? Anybody? It's pure. What happens when we have a fiery trial? The faith. They're hopefully that, for example, doubt can be burned away, and what is left is faith. Uh, misunderstanding. Um, of the scripture misunderstandings uh, that's what I'm trying to get to yes traditions even they're burned away so that makes it a good comparison doesn't it faith and gold yeah <laughs> unfortunately it happens again Yes. In stages. What do we call that process? I mean, you, you've explained it beautifully. Sanctification. Sanctification is beginning in us. It's a process. It has. It's happening. Um, gold loses nothing of its nature. They have kept gold in a state of fusion for months at a time, and taken, you know, turned the fire off, taken it out, and it's the same weight as it always was pure gold not the smallest of change all of the properties that were not gold in the first place were melted away and what we have left is gold and genuine faith is also proven by trials have you ever heard someone say now I grew up in the church and so and Tammy did and Nancy did and I know some of the rest of you were churched well um do you ever hear someone say, I, don't, I just don't seem to have the faith that I used to have? Ever have anybody say that? Ever hear them? I did. Tammy did. You're saved by faith. <laughs> well, I know I'm still saved, but I just don't have the faith. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> You're saved by faith. Think about what you just said. And there are times when people have said some things and I just wanted to okay. think about what you just said. Slap them across the face. Think about it. The reason I think that way is because I've slapped myself across the face a few times in the middle of a fiery trial. Thinking, why, why, why? What is, why is this happening? Forgetting the big picture. 
and what I'm trying to paint this morning is the big picture and what the fiery the trial is for and what our faith is. Scientists have, have shown and, and helped me with the parallel here, okay? Scientists have shown that the Earth's surface became enriched with precious metals, including gold, by the impacting of meteorites. Do you know that that's how gold got here? It's not part of the Earth's surface. It's not in the crust. It's been injected into the Earth by meteorites. Now, other scientists have said there was some gold that is there that happened by the same process, but it wasn't meteors. It was some other fusion that has taken place that created gold, but it wasn't the meteorite. Others contest that. If it's true, is there a spiritual parallel? Think about that for a moment. God was in the meteorites that smashed into the earth. Uh, excuse me, gold was in the meteorites that smashed into the earth. Most of the gold in the earth has come from meteorites. And there's various theories about what the rest of the gold is and why it's different than the gold that came from meteorites. But if that is true, and we liken it to faith, we know that babies have an innate fear of falling, don't we? They have a fear of falling. You pick one up and they start crying, they have a fear of falling. Mama picks the baby up and they don't cry. They have faith. And Mama goes, right? Which is fun for her, but for the baby, it's it's quite an experience, depending on how fast she's doing that. But they start to laugh, and they kick their legs and wave their arms and because they have faith. So somehow, the, even though the, the fear of falling is innate, so is this little element of faith that mama's not going to let me fall. She's going to hold me. Daddy's going to hold me so on all right thinking about that what are the similarities there between the natural and the and this and the spiritual where a meteorite has injected gold into the surface of the earth if gold is similar to our faith what's what's the parallel or what is the connection well when we are born and in the natural we have just a little bit of faith don't understand it but there's a little bit there and it's innate within us what happens to inject more faith into our spiritual life it ain't there until something injects that precious faith into our lives our salvation and when we have a fiery tri a trial or a fiery trial 
and we grow closer to God and those impurities that you were talking about go away is there another injection and another injection and another injection giving us more faith and more faith and more faith I think that's happening it's not part of us it's been injected into us his faith faith in him are you with me I mean, that's, that's what's happening, isn't it? It's not me. It's him. He has put it in me. And now I feel like it's me because it's been put in me. It's been injected into me, but I didn't have it until I was saved and filled with the Holy Spirit and began to walk with him and walk in, in the light as he is in the light and, and sinned not because he didn't sin, right? And all of that is like precious gold, even though gold is corruptible. This is like gold, except it's not corruptible. Any other thoughts before I move on? I just want to get that clarified as well, that it's injected into us. Gold does not rust or corrode, we know this, and it's unaffected by the fire. This answers why gold is repeatedly melted and reprocessed and recycled and so on, and it comes out gold in a different state or different shape. There is, however, a nuclear process that can destroy gold. And it's been experimented with they tell us but first let's talk about how well I've talked about it now so let me just jump on to number four Glenn Seaborg managed the creation of gold with nuclear process using bismuth in the 1980s unfortunately it was determined that you would grow, go, go broke several times trying to create gold, even one flake, before this process would create any gold. So it, it's very highly impractical to try to create gold because you would spend far more trying to create it than you would have once it was created. But there is, going back to number three, There is an acid called aqua regia, a combination of powerful nitric acids and hydrochloric acids. It was discovered 800 years before Peter's writing, and that acid would destroy gold. The question is why? <laughs> why would you put the acid on the gold and say, yeah, it works, now I'm broke? But there is was an acid, even when Peter was writing, that would destroy gold. And he said gold is corruptible. How about that? He knew gold was corruptible. How about faith? Faith is not corruptible. However, we can destroy faith, can't we? The acids of our impurities, the acids of our 
lack of faith, the accidents of listening to Satan who tells us something altogether different than what God is telling us through his Holy Spirit. I find these all very interesting. Any thoughts before I move on? Take us into deeper understanding. All right, page six. First Peter one, verse eight and nine. When having, oh, excuse me, whom having not seen ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Another. There are what is called a threefold salvation. Now, all, the, all three of these things happen at the same time. It's just a principle of theology. And uh, it's been around for, for ages, known as the threefold salvation. But it would be good for us to always have this truth top of mind as we go through our lives, especially during those experiences of trials by fire. Threefold salvation. It doesn't mean it's in stages, but it's happening at the same time. There's three elements. Three, can, three things happen when we're saved, would be another way to put it. Number one, believers have received salvation and have been saved from their sins. And we know that to be salvation, and that's that has happened in all of our lives. Acts 4.12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There we are again. Salvation itself is by faith in someone we haven't seen we have not, none of us have seen Christ, and yet we believe. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Supporting what we've said, and then I have a note there, and more, lots of other verses that that uh, have to do with our salvation and knowing that we are saved. After we're saved, we need to walk in the in the Spirit, don't we? Walk in the light as He is in the light. And so that's the second part of our threefold salvation process. Believers are being kept from sin as they walk in the light of their salvation. Romans 1.17, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. I'm reminded again of what Stacy said, when you have your trial of faith, the impurities of those thoughts of faith are burned off, aren't they? And so we live from faith to faith. We get Our faith gets stronger and stronger and stronger as we go through these fiery trials. And 
we have uh, developed a stronger life in Christ Jesus because our faith has increased. And how did we get this faith? It was injected into us by the Holy Spirit. We didn't have it until we met him. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. I like that. Work out your own salvation. I was once young and now I'm old and I have seen children try to live by mom and dad's salvation. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. Work out your own salvation. Second Timothy 3.15 And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And I like that phrase. The more faith that we have, the more faith that we use, the more of those things which do not, which are attaching themselves to our faith, the more those, those things that burn away in the fiery trial, it helps us to make us wise unto salvation through faith. All of those things make us wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. And in uh, Hebrews 2, verse 3, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. Hmm. Confirmed to us. I've had this experience. I don't know. Let me, let me go back here because I've had this experience and let me see if you have. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed? Let's look at that. And was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. Have you been going through anything ever and read your Bible and say, that's it? That's it. That's my answer. That's it. That's just been confirmed unto us by them that heard him. Peter said what I needed. I read it. Here it is. Paul said it. I read John said it. Matthew said it. Luke said it. Um, 
confirmed. First John 1 and 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. So we not only have the salvation experience, we have the, the experience that enables us to walk in the light as he is in the light, to walk in faith as he had faith, to be chosen as he was chosen, to remain the elect as Jesus was the elect. And so we're not only just saved at, to have the experience of forgiven sins, but we're saved to walk, into, to walk in the light of his salvation, to have the strength to do that and to go through our lives victorious in his light, knowing that if we have the fiery faith, if it's needful, if it has to be that we have the fiery trial, then we know that the things that need to be eliminated from the, the faith that we have that are trying to attach itself to our faith which is like gold, needs to be burned away, needs to be burned off. Lord, help me to just uh, burn it off and, and let me be free of it in the next five minutes. <laughs> is how we would like to have it, isn't it? See, this is uh, why I, I, I relate to Peter. <laughs> because Peter had those times too. He failed. He had fear. He thought he was going to be criticized for mingling with People that weren't Jews, what did he do? When the when the people from the temple came, he avoided the people he had been spending all the time with. Paul called him out on it. Um, it is a process. The very first comment you made about this was that it's a process, and it is. And we don't always yield to the process every time, do we? So... Yeah, and it does. It, yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the third point uh, has to do with that. And the third point is that believers, on page 7, believers are eventually saved from all the fall of man. I love that. Saved from all the fall of man. And are resurrected to new life with Christ in heaven. So we have our we are saved from our sin. Okay, and that's what a lot of people think it stops right there. We are saved from our sin. Number two, we are also saved to walk in the light as he is in the light. And thirdly, we are saved from all of the fall of man. All of it. Those three things happen all at once. And his mind is made up. He has predestined us to join him in heaven in the last day when Christ comes for us or when we uh, pass on. First Peter 1.5, we've read it, but it has more meaning now. 
who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In your last time, in my last time, in the world's last time. That's when Christ is ready to be revealed for each one of us individually as well as corporately. Romans 13, 11, and that knowing the time that now is, uh, that now it is high time to awake out of the sleep for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. How many know that's happening to all of us? <laughs> okay. Hebrews 5, 9, and being made perfect, ye became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Hebrews 9.28, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. 1 Peter 1.9, Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. In 1 Peter 1.13, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. One thing I prayed that we could accomplish this morning is that we never lose sight of the long game. There's nothing that is the worst to me to me if during a trial I lose sight of the long game and what I mean by that is where was I where has God put me where does he want me to go what am I learning from this as Stacy was saying what what's the long game here what what's the reason what am I supposed to be learning right now? What? I didn't cause this. Well, maybe I did. Okay, I did. <laughs> you go through that process sometimes. Other times you didn't. But it's happening to you. And you can lose sight of the long game during any of those fiery trials that happen. And I pray that having gone through these three steps again, that we're saved from our sins, past sins, and we're purified, we're clean, we're undefiled. And we're saved to walk in the light as he is in the light. He gives us the strength as Holy Spirit is injected into us. And it's more, it gives us faith that is more precious than gold and is incorruptible to be successful in our Christian walk. And thirdly, to be saved from all of the fall of man in the last time and to be with Christ. Because we've got a reservation. We've got a promise. It's there. And all of these things are ours at the point of salvation. We just follow him. And receive for what he has for us. And give what he tells us to give. And have faith to walk as he has walked himself. And has had a harder walk than either one of us have ever had. 
And I wonder sometimes if we have ever suffered a trial that he has not. He dealt with family members. They thought he was crazy. He dealt with everything. We can't go through all of the things that he dealt with and stayed true. And we thank him for it. So that's our lesson today. I love you all and thank you for coming. Lord, we pray that you just bless everyone who's here, that your Holy Spirit will rise uh, right upon their shoulders and will um, be with them in all that they do and will minister to them in all that they go through. And may your Holy Spirit give them strength <clears throat> during any trial that they suffer, but give them confidence in knowing that you are seeing them through to the end. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.